if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And as you're making your way there, uh, yeah, we are, we are going to continue in this series. Uh, you may have thought, right, so we were, we were there all summer in the Ten Commandments. Uh, we've been in Exodus since the beginning of the year, but kind of got here to the Ten Commandments. And uh, you may have thought that now we would get to pick right back up into more of the, the narrative part uh, of the story. Uh, but there's more laws so uh, this, is, this is what really begins what is described in the book of Exodus kind of as the, the book of the covenant. So it's a, a further description of this, the promises made. And so the traditional chapter division that's in the book of Exodus is it feels a little bit misleading, right? The closing of the uh, verses of chapter 20 actually begin the collection of laws found in chapters 21 through 23. So there's like a, a new block of legal or instructional material uh, that is introduced, but, but it begins in verse 22 of chapter 20. It goes all the way uh, up until again uh, chapter 4, I mean chapter 24. So it goes through all of 21, all of 22, and all of 23. And I can tell already that you are uh, so riveted by this and encouraged to hear that there's more law to come. Uh, this whole section is really going to elaborate on the commandments that have already been given. And that's why we're even looking at this, understanding this is a, a portion of this series called Love God, Love Others. We want to do that well. We want to love God and love people in a way that would be pleasing to God. We want to learn how even in these laws that were specifically given to the people of Israel then, how they apply for us. Right? These law codes are not intended just, this is interesting, not just for the individuals like the, the Israelite people, but they're also for the judges of the Israelite people to rightly provide the guidance necessary for those that have broken the law. So it helps them, uh, you'll see that in the, again in the coming chapters. Here's what I want you to know about today is if you look, uh, if you're one who looks at like the subtitles of your uh, sections or whatever it might be in your chapters, uh, this one in, in mine says laws about altars, and you might quickly be thinking, well, we don't, we don't uh, have altars like this anymore. We're not needing that kind of uh, sacrifice of animals that was once done. But here's what I want you to think about throughout this message today is that an altar is a place to, designed to help us glorify God, right? So, so that's the intent of this is that there's this place that the people would go to glorify God. In, in particular, these altars were designed to help during that interim period before the tabernacle was made and designed, which we'll see later, before the temple was made, and then ultimately before we become that temple of the Holy Spirit, right? This is, this is the goal. So here's what I want to do. Let's read from Exodus chapter 20. And we'll uh, look at verse 22 and following. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be from with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. 
an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And if you shall not go up, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Right? There is, if, if, you, if you're like me, when I, when I first read that, I very quickly thought, none of that has to do with me today. I don't, I don't even know what a hewn stone is. That was the first thing I thought. I, I'm certainly not worried about walking up steps. I'm not building an altar of that size or that, that would need steps. I'm, I'm not building altars of gold or silver. I don't have gold or silver to build one out of, right? Like all these things kind of quickly, like I don't know how this is fitting. So stay with me because this text actually helps us see how we are to seek the Lord. How we are to bring him glory. So first, we seek to hear God each time we gather. Right? Look at, look at the very beginning. Look at verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You've seen for yourself that I have talked with you from heaven. First of all, this says that the Lord said to Moses. So there is some sort of conversation going on. But not only that, he then goes beyond that to say, I have talked with you from heaven. So you kind of maybe think about it this way, that this was the intent that God had in store, that, to, that the people of God might hear from God. Specifically, they, the people then heard through prophets, and, and even at that time heard specifically through Moses. Yes, he, he was audible at times, it appears, like this is something that we don't experience in the same way quite as often, I would assume. There was, there was times that uh, he has heard, right, even in this book, he's heard from a burning bush, right? There's, there's audible sound coming there. But then there's also the hearing from God in their conscience. And I wonder about how, then, how do we hear from God? We talked about this a little bit last week, but... This is how we hear most clearly from God. And by this, I mean the Bible, what is described as God's Word. All scriptures breathed out by God, right? This, that means that anything in this 66 books of the canon of scripture that we can know and trust is God's Word, is God speaking to us. And yes, in fact, if there is something that you hear or that you sense you are hearing from God, whether it's audible or inaudible or it's from a burning bush, then you can go to this word to make sure that whatever that was wasn't just your hallucination, that it was actually from God. Does that make sense? So, so we now have something that really the, the people of Israel didn't even have at the time in having this written account of God's word. That's why, that's why it is so important that the person that stands in this place if every week looks to this book. That's why, okay, life group leaders, you carry a unique burden. It does not matter if you rock babies or you are teaching the 
most elderly in the room, this is what we're asking you to teach. This is what we're asking you to look at. I, I, I just, I grieve. I just got a text this week from a church member, former, who is, who's moved to another town. And they, they think they found their church. And they're excited and saying, like, they're thankful for their time here. And they were thankful that they found a pastor who's preaching God's word, but they went to a life group. And they, it's been three weeks in a row, and they've yet to open the Bible. And so they're grieving. They're like, I don't know if we're, this is really, what, what does that mean for us? What does that look like? And so I want you to hear this. Uh, that should not happen here. We have a different expectation here. I don't know. I don't know about that church, what their expectation is. But here, yes, it's, it's that you're doing life together, that you're caring for each other well, but it's that you're looking to God's word for instruction and guidance, that we can study it together and know him better, that we can hear from God. We seek to hear God every time we gather. That, right, this is, this is part of the worship gatherings. You know when we start with that focus verse uh, each week, when we read God's word together, even in that one time when we are starting our service, we're saying we're hearing from God today. We want to centralize, like remind ourselves from the top of the order that we, we hear God in this place. Yes, we hear from God through the sermons, but in these same worship gatherings, we seek to worship God alone with our offerings. Right? The, the altar was intended to be a place where offerings were given. Look, look at what he says in verse 23 and 24. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. This statement I made that we seek to worship God alone with our offerings comes really from the, these two verses. And I want you to, to see maybe three things that you might want to notice of that statement. One, the desire, the, the plan when we, we seek to worship God, right? This is even in our mission statement. Now, we don't use that word worship. We use the word glorify. Together, we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. We just, we just sang a song that said that very thing. That's what we want to do. God, if anything be said of me, may it be said that I glorify your name and worship you. But God wants it to be clear that we worship God alone. He's the only one deserving of our worship. We spent an, I mean, you go back to even, right, this, this is a pulling out of the Ten Commandments, right? It's a, it's a further explanation. He's, he's going back to Commandments 1 and 2. Don't make any other idols. That I'm the, he is the only true God. It's like, if you didn't get it by this commandment carved in stone, maybe you'll get it now. Don't worship a God of gold or a God of silver. Don't make false idols. It doesn't even make sense. They're crafting with their hands a God that they know is not alive. 
So worship God, worship God alone. And third, worship God through offerings. I think about specifically Romans 12. Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You become the offering. You, you are what is offered. The, the, the altar, right? Like you are what is laid there. You are, you are laying down yourself before him. You're the sacrifice of praise. You are presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now I've already, I've certainly, in just the last couple of weeks, I've talked about our responsibility for giving an offering. And I'll talk about that again. Yes, give your money. Absolutely. That's part of what we do. Yes, give your resources. Yes, give your time and your schedule. Open your home. Give, give of yourself in this way. But understand that your spiritual act of worship is to give yourself to the Lord wholly and completely. So giving, giving your money should be no problem because you've already given all of yourself. You already gave your bank account. Because you've already given all of you. Giving some of your schedule or your time should not be a problem at all. Why? Because you've already given all of yourself. Giving, opening your home, friends, family should be no problem. Because you've already given all of yourself to the Lord. See, we, we worship God alone with our offerings, giving him ourself. Not only do we want to worship God alone by our offerings, but we seek to honor God by following his commands. These next two verses, verses 25 and 26 kind of get into some of that stuff I was talking about earlier that didn't seem like quite it applies to us. But listen, this is, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it out of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Do you ever read any of the laws uh, in the United States that just seem like absolutely ridiculous laws. Have you ever done that? You should sometime. Uh, there is a lengthy list, and I, I tried to shrink it to some of that I was most entertained by, okay? So in Alabama, it's illegal to drive blindfolded. Thought that was a law everywhere, or just made sense, right? In Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. You know, it's ones like that that you have to think. Like, this is going to happen several times, but what that means is someone has done that, and so they made a law about it. It gets, it gets more interesting. In Hawaii, it's illegal to place a coin in someone's ear. Those magic tricks are gone. 
In Kentucky, it's illegal for a woman to marry the same man four times. There is no law that it says it's illegal for the man to marry a woman four times. In Montana, it's illegal to give a rat a gift. In Oklahoma, it's illegal to trip a horse. Oklahoma, man, they take care of their horses. In Vermont, it's illegal for a wife to have it's illegal for a wife to have false teeth without the husband's written permission. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, how many husbands aren't writing, signing that? <laughs> but here in Mississippi, we have a few. Uh, in Temperance, Mississippi, it is illegal to drive around the town square more than 100 times in a single session. And in that same town, you can't walk a dog without dressing it in diapers. I'm like, I don't really know why these are such ridiculous laws. And sometimes, right, sometimes when we get to some of these laws in Scripture, that they seem that kind of ridiculous. Like, why is that even a law? And, and for us, we have the context of some of these things in the, the, these laws in the United States, but we're missing so much of the context of what would have been taking place or, or why this is so. Unless we do some, digger deep, some deeper digging, we, we won't know. We won't understand, right? So here's, here's what you need to know. When it says, don't make this altar out of hewn stones. That's like a chopped stone, a, a cut stone by a tool. You see, in the worship of false gods, the altars would have all been cut out of stone. And so God is commanding that his altar, the, the way that people worship him, is different than the way that the world worships their false gods. They would have walked up on carved out steps in these false idol worship. In fact, as they made their way intentionally up these steps, they would have been further sin by practicing different sexual acts on the steps as they go. So now it makes sense why the command would, would also be that they should not go up by steps to the altar, that your nakedness be exposed on it, right? Something that doesn't even seem to make any sense at all to us. But what, what he's saying is don't worship like the, the people of the world worship false idols. Right? It, this, this idea of it being too high I love, I'm thankful that he gives an explanation here because it, it begins to open our minds to a clearer picture. God, God gives laws with purpose. Again, sometimes we look at them and we don't understand. Why is this the law? Why do you have such a standard? But he does. He, he gives reason. 
And so finally, as we consider altars, I would say that we seek to remember God as we celebrate Christ. Notice again in verse 24. We're going to go back a little bit. It says, An altar of the earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Where I cause my name to be remembered. You know, I was, I was thinking about this in regard to sacrifice. I was thinking about how the, the intent of a sacrifice is a, a blood-spilled offering because of a sin that has, deserves a, uh, it's like it warrants or it, there's, there's penalty for that sin, payment for that sin, and it's blood. It's the life of another. Like that's the intent of the, the offering that would be given. So these altars were intended to be built so that when someone sinned, they could take this, this blood offering. They could take this, this animal, a sheep or an ox or a pigeon or a dove, and they could the blood would be spilled on that altar, right? So that the people would remember the, the gift of grace that they received, the gift of forgiveness that they received. And, and so here's what we do. I want you to fast forward with me a few thousand years to the New Testament when, when Jesus comes on the scene. Like there's all kinds of laws that we'll see at other times about the, the type of those sacrifices that have to be made, the perfection, the cleanliness of those sacrifices, without blemish, and all of these sort of things. Those instructions will be shared at another time. But, but we know that what takes place then is that Jesus comes on the scene, and when he comes on the scene, he is unblemished. Never sinning, never doing wrong, never thinking wrong, never acting wrong, never speaking wrong. He's sinless, spotless. And he goes to the cross, right? And on that cross, his blood is spilled. His life is taken. But not because he did something wrong. And not even because... I physically put him there. He went voluntarily because my sin needed a rescue plan. Me, I needed a rescue plan. You needed a rescue plan. You, you needed a, a way to be made right with God again. And in Jesus' death on the cross... He made it so that, that those sacrifices didn't have to be made over and over and over and over again. Because three days later, he rose again. 
He conquered the grave. He conquered hell. He conquered sin for us. So he demonstrated that his once and for all sacrifice was sufficient. The song we sang, that all sufficient merit, we cannot earn it on our own. So Jesus became that for us. He carried that weight for us. Today we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. For all of us who are followers of Christ, this is a, an opportunity for us to remember. Remember verse 24? Every place where I cause my name to be remembered. Jesus, in rescuing you, in saving you, is causing his name to be remembered. Paul writes about this meal in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. The Lord's Supper is not a light manner, matter. It's not a casual opportunity. It is significant. It is a time that we remember this gift. No, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not an altar made out of stone or the earth. But it is a place we remember. We remember what Christ has done and we celebrate the gift that he is. We celebrate that Instead of us going to that altar over and over and over again with a, another animal, he has covered our sin for us once and for all. If you've never trusted in Jesus in this way, you've never turned from your sin and trusted that his sacrifice was sufficient for your salvation, then just know this, right where you sit right now, you can trust in Jesus. You can believe in him. You can believe that he took your punishment for you. You might have never sacrificed an animal before, but you can be confident you will never have to sacrifice one in the future. Because he's, he's sufficient for you. If you are a follower of Christ, I urge you, as Paul did, to examine yourself. In just a moment, I will call the, the deacons to come forward and we'll pass out these trays and we'll take a cup and be bread and juice. 
And it might just seem like bread and juice. But this is a reminder that we don't want to do anything that isn't pleasing to the Lord. So maybe there's bitterness in your heart. Maybe there's overwhelming fear. Maybe there is uh, anger. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life, and you just know that today you need to pass the tray. That's okay. We're going to make a commitment to each other not to judge each other for the the tray that passes, okay? I'm going to let that pass and spend that time with the Lord. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, I just ask that you let the tray pass. It's okay. Observe us observing it. See that we are remembering the gift that God has given us in the life of His Son, Jesus the Christ. I'm going to invite the the deacons to come forward at this time. And as they're making their way here, a couple kind of practical matters. In in the tray, the the cups are stacked. So take when you take both cups, the, the first cup will have a little piece of bread in it, and the second will have the juice. But also the there should be some purple cups in the middle, and those are specifically gluten-free for those who have that allergy that it is detrimental. We want you to be able to participate as well. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is that, that reminder for us to celebrate the Christ. So deacons, if you'll come forward at this time.
Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would you stand with me as we continue to respond to the gift of our Savior, Jesus?